Space Croutons! Space Croutons, season 3.14. of the circumference of any circle to the diameter of that circle, regardless of the circle size, this ratio will always be complied. Did somebody say pie? The cortex left the residue with hours that were somewhat new. We traveled through both space and time, snow globes and it was sublime. Space moved on, season 3.14. Say what? Space This is the final approximately 3.14159265358979323832348327950 This is Curdy, and I have to say I love hearing that theme song because it means we get to present another episode of Space Croutons for our loyal listeners. Oh, we love you guys and can't wait to get started with today's podcast coming as always from Van Helsing. And we wouldn't be one of the best podcasts out there without our favorite artificial intelligentsia and my co-host, Sally. And hello back to my favorite homo sapia, Cordy, along with the coolest audience known to mice and men. So, Sally, to begin with, why don't we do a review of what's going on in our world presently? Of course, Cordy. After we started Season 3.14 months ago, we were made aware that someone was listening in only to then take the lives of those involved in the stories we were presenting. That's right, Sally. We were able to identify several victims, including the three field mice from the Bunny Fufu story, Raymond Fernandez, himself a serial killer serving a life sentence in prison, a self-described psychic Miss Cleopatra, as well as Shanty, the diner chef, who briefed us on her time-loop repeated death, and a few others. And after visits from some of our friends in a variation of Dickens' A Christmas Carol, we made it our mission to find and stop this murderer. And we have been making some headway with the help of some retired detectives who ascertain that the murderer is apparently using the game of Clue as a pattern for their crimes. The killer, personally, has also been playing with us, sending us cryptic messages filled with ciphers and taunting us with poetic references. As such, we are beginning to get a clearer picture of our nemesis, a heartless predator who has access to time and space transportals and a taste for blood. Each time we put out another episode, I get a new knot in my stomach, wondering if we can catch the criminal before anyone else loses their life. I think I should remind you, Cordy, that each time we put out another episode, we also need to present a word from one of our sponsors, and perhaps this would be a good time to do that. Good thinking, Sally. Folks, we'll be right back after this commercial break, so hang in there and we'll meet you right back here in a minute or so. 
Does your dog eat your shoes, bark at all hours, and take over the middle of your bed? Does your cat claw up your furniture, climb the drapes, and knock your valuable keepsakes off your shelves? Is this constant responsibility of pet ownership weighing you down to the point where you are ready to give up on companionship for just a little peace? Well, trade in those worries for a newer, fresher, and easier to manage pet option. BevSports Bonsai Cloudariums. That's right, BevSports Bonsai Cloudariums has developed a way to create, contain, and care for your very own miniature cloud in its very own glass enclosed cloudarium. Just browse our online catalog to choose a tiny cloud in an almost unlimited variety of shapes. A bird, a plane, even a frog. Or peruse the Salvador Dali and Picasso sections for something more abstract. We will ship your cloud directly to you already formed in the enclosed cloudarium. And all you do is plug it in and boom! You're done. But wait, you say you want to pet it, walk it, cuddle with it in bed? No problem. Your Bonsai Cloudarian comes with a moisture mitt, a lightning leash, and a heavy-duty latex balloon that once you get your mini cumuli inside, you can hug and squeeze all night long. And best of all, to feed it, all you need to do is add water. BevSports Bonsai Cloudarium. It's tougher than a Tamagotchi, more fun than a Furby, and way prettier than a pet rock. And it's great for the environment. Bedsports, Bonsai Cloudarium, order yours today. And there you have it, people. And let me remind you that if you have ideas that can help us catch the fiend causing all this commotion, please give us a phone ring or email ding or send a letter by snail mail or Pony Express. Whatever it takes to stop the madness. Are you all right, Cordy? Oh, I guess I'm just a bit frazzled is all. But I can handle it. It's like my dad used to say, If you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen and bring me a cold beer when you do that I can stand. Curdy, this topic of hot and cold is a perfect segue to today's story as our listeners will hear during the preamble of Always and Forever. <sighs> Sounds good, Sally. Go ahead and play it. The constellations of the Milky Way quilt that my Aunt Mercy handmade for me for my high school graduation gift decades ago has fallen off the left side of the bed again, which means I need to head to my laboratory. You don't see the cause and effect? Then let me explain. With the quilt on the floor, I am cold. And with an objective understanding of the scientific certainty that doing something the same way brings about the same result, I find myself at a familiar juncture. Because that said same result is that I can't sleep. Still not following? I'll spell it out for you. Sleep for me comes only when I am at a constant 68.5 degrees body temp, and as my bedroom is several degrees below that, and I am quiltless, then I too am below that. So if you follow this line of reasoning to its inevitable end, since I am cold, I can't sleep. So I may as well get up, go to the lab, and get some work done. With work in this case consisting of firing up my computer composed the following missive in which I reveal a carefully guarded secret regarding a massive compendium of spectacular scientific discoveries by yours truly and that one shared with the world could lead to earth-shattering advancements in technology heretofore unknown to the general public. Or to put it more plainly, I am a man of brilliance and you will thank me for it one day. Come, let's practice all together.
Thank you for your genius, Professor Pikachu. Well, it needs practice, and perhaps it'll help if I provide you with more information about me and my scientific work. I was just a college student when I had my first big success in the field of what is now called radiation science. I wasn't interested in the big nuclear fusion issues like Chernobyl or Fukushima or even Homer's job on The Simpsons. No, my focus was smaller, more specific. Like Madame Curie, I embrace the thought that there are forces present in the natural world that are available to provide man with a myriad of cures for diseases and the overall betterment of humankind. And while Curie ultimately died from her dedication to this pursuit, I was able to ride on the shoulders of her work, better prepared and protected, allowing me to reach my first scientific breakthrough, the discovery of a source of radiation that I appropriately named the A-Ray. Let me clarify. What I refer to as the A-Ray should not be confused with the more familiar Alpha Ray, which can be harmful to humans as its absorption can and will cause major tissue damage. Rather, my A-Ray is a simpler form of radiation, and perhaps not quite as exciting to learn about. I call it the A-Ray as the A stands for armadillo, and as with a lot of scientific discoveries, it was purely accidental. And this is how it happened. I was walking along a dirt road near Buenos Aires, Argentina. I was an intern taking part in an international study of atmospheric radiation anomalies for the National Centers of Environmental Information at the time. And I noticed an armadillo ambling along through the sand. Curious to get a closer look, I am an animal lover after all, I moved towards it. And, as is its nature, it plopped down and rolled into an armored ball for protection. The surprising thing to me was that the Geiger counter I was carrying back to our campsite began to click loudly as I stood over the creature. I took a few steps back, and the clicking slowed, then faded. But when I stepped forward again, it again sounded the alarm. Of course, this piqued my interest, and so I pulled some grapes from my pack one to my backpack and befriended the armadillo so that way I could sit with him for a while longer. I was able to attempt measurement of radiation levels when he was relaxed and unballed, and noted that the Geiger counter only registered when he was tightly rolled. Returning to the States for my junior year at university, I began to study the armadillos at the local zoo, and I wrote a paper detailing my findings which I submitted as a departmental research project, and my faculty advisor, who was ex-military, unbeknownst to me, passed it on to colleagues at the Pentagon. This resulted in the government classifying it as top secret, so they could then take my research and clandestinely weaponize it for our men and women in uniform. I bet you think the Transformers are science fiction, don't you? Well, that's exactly what they want you to think. Because my eyes were now open to the fact that radioactive materials exist throughout the natural world, I began to study any and everything that I could shake a Geiger counter wand at which has led me to identify a multitude of previously unknown radiations at their sources. And again, the military-industrial complex confiscated my research and absconded with them, all in the name of national security. But let me assure you, it was me who did the work and brought the A-ray, the B-ray, bat radiation conducted through bat sonar, the C-ray, corn radiation emitted through corn silk in all its forms, all the way up to my recent discovery of the W-ray, worm radiation with which they navigate blindly under the ground, into the realm of useful scientific understanding. Yes, you could say I became a respected expert in my field, but alas... Awards and acclaim have eluded me, as I could tell no one anything of my work. 
This made having friends or any sort of meaningful personal relationship a course too dangerous to navigate. To the inner circles of the ruling classes, I was simply known as that scientist, the Rayman, and suffered jabs and jibes from the power elite who would laugh and ask me if I knew Tom Cruise or Dustin Hoffman or Judge Wapner. Then they would give me a slap on the back and remind me that I was sworn to secrecy. If I protested, I was threatened with imprisonment, male pattern baldness, that's right, the government controls that too, and worse, the cancellation of my favorite reality TV show, Chrisley Knows Best. Then finally, 18 months ago, I called their bluff by leaking a story about my G-ray discovery that measured radiation created by girdle friction, an effect that I had come across when I met William Shatner at a Comic-Con fan convention in New York in the early 70s. So what happened after the leak? The Chrisleys go to prison and the show is kaput! Well, I am not one to take things lying down, so now you all will know it all. At this point, it is important that you understand that I do not take credit for the X-ray, which was discovered and then brought into use across the world by Dr. Conrad Ronchin of Bavaria, which is probably why he escaped a clampdown by our government. Based on him identifying his radiation with the letter X, Combined with the fact that my study of xylophones, Xerox machines, and Xanax measured negligible results of radiation transfer, these have allowed me to move on to a search for new rays to complete what I have come to call my scientific radiation alphabet. And this brings me to the point of my communication with you today. After all my years of research and discovery, and my frustration with the confiscation of my life's work by those who want to control scientific knowledge for their own agenda, I have just recently unearthed the most amazing form of radiation I have ever witnessed. Of course I'm calling it the Y-ray, but this is not the same radiation as the well-known gamma rays, which were first discovered in 1900 and are sometimes indicated by the use of the Greek symbol for gamma, which kinda looks like a Y. The rays I speak of are Y-rays, or W-H-Y rays, based on the pattern of cause and effect when I first measured their existence during a standard criminal suspect lineup at the local police station. And here is how that happened. I was coming around the corner of the all-brick precinct building on my way to the bus stop after my morning stop at the local Bean There Done That coffee house, where I had ordered my regular ice ristretto 10-shot venti with breve 5-pump vanilla 7-pump caramel four splenda poured not shaking the double cozy cop, when a voice behind me said, Excuse me, but I was just wondering, do you have a strong sense of civic duty? And when I turned, I found myself face-to-face -face with the chief of police himself. After a brief explanation, I was plucked off the street as a decoy in a lineup to identify a suspect in a malicious trespassing case involving three goats, a troll, and a farmer who owned a field of lush green scrubby grass. As the farmer wished to press charges, some suspects had been rounded up and official ID was needed. According to the precinct chief, my resting gruff face made me a perfect candidate to help out in the lineup. To an outsider, it might have seemed like a coincidence that I had my Geiger counter in my satchel, but I am in the habit of taking it with me everywhere. In my experience, I never know when I might get an opportunity for new measurements, and thus new rays to document. After signing waivers, in case I was actually guilty of this crime or any other they may uncover during the session, and a short orientation regarding proper lineup etiquette, stay in a straight line, speak only when spoken to, and follow instructions, which, come to think of it, were also areas of measure on my primary school report card, I was placed in third, between two of three goats. A llama completed the queue in the fifth spot. 
a couple of minutes later, we were ushered into a brightly lit narrow room facing a picture window sized two-way mirror and height measurements on the back wall. Beginning the identification procedure, the first goat was asked by the chief on the other side of the mirror to step forward. At that same moment, the Geiger counter began to click, and words that looked like they were written by hand onto a steamy mirror appeared on our side of the glass. They read, I was hungry. Then, as the goat stepped back, the writing faded so quickly I was doubtful that I had actually seen anything. The chief's voice over the intercom then asked the second goat to step up. And as the counter went off once again, more writing appeared on the glass. I skipped breakfast and I was feeling a bit lightheaded. The fading of the lettering matched the second goat's movement back into line. I was next when the chief spoke. Number three, please step forward. I did so, and the message on the glass said, Just doing my civic duty. I then stepped back when directed. After a moment, the chief said, Number four, please step forward. And the largest of the goats sauntered towards the mirror with a blank look. The Geiger clicking was at its loudest, and on the glass I read the words, I butted that troll good, so I reckon I earned all the grass I can eat. Finally, the llama was beckoned forward. And the words on the glass read, Hello, my name is Dolly. During the entire process, I could not ascertain whether the other occupants of the room could see the messages. But all in all, I was overjoyed to have done my community proud, and at the same time, opened a new door into radiation science. So, what exactly did I learn here? Well, based on the extemporaneous experiment to the lineup room, I have formed the following theory. The Y, or WHY, rays interact with the subconscious of at least some organic beings, producing a radiation that displays the reasoning happening in the frontal lobe of the cerebral cortex and presenting it on any smooth, shiny surface. I hypothesize that these Y rays could be used to uncover a situational Y, or in layman's terms, a motive for a given action in said situation. When activated, these rays present the following characteristics. 1. They travel at the speed of sight, meaning that when present, they can be seen with the naked eye but fade quickly. 2. They have very low penetrating power, as they do not pass through solid objects, as the writing we saw, which I found out later, was not detectable on the other side of the mirror. And 3. Why rays, unlike other radiation, including those of the gamma variety, do not produce nuclear reactions as demonstrated by the fact that one did not occur at the police precinct even though the rays were clearly present at three different times. As you can imagine, this third property was the most valuable one to determine, as I can unhesitantly assure you that I would never prefer to experience death by nuclear explosion. On a side note, I decided to inform the police chief about the messages I saw on the glass. However, in his eyes, it looked like I was trying to throw suspicion on the goats, leading him to wonder about my whereabouts during the time of the incident. Fortunately for me, I was able to show him a timestamp ticket for the day in question where I toured the USS Cairo, a Civil War gunboat housed in a museum in Vicksburg, Mississippi. That's right, I had an ironclad alibi. 
But I digress. Which, by the way, is the source of what I named the D-ray, produced primarily when an organic being is distracted by outside phenomena. A deer stopping to sniff a pretty flower in a meadow, a dog jumping up to catch a frisk squirrel, or a boomer coming across Donna Summer's Love to Love You Baby on the radio while in freeway traffic. Yes, indeed, D-rays are copious and potentially deadly. But I digress again. My Geiger counter is now clicking, so I need to pause and reset my focus before my upstairs neighbor files another noise complaint. That kind of hurts my feelings, you know? I mean, what is so hard about just knocking on someone's door and asking them to turn down the counter? It's not like I am purposely trying to keep them awake. Okay, that was my last digression, I promise. So now that you've had a taste of just what I've added to this world, I believe I have gained your trust. And so I want you to do something for me. I want you to take the jump drive I've included with this letter, which chronicles my experiments and findings regarding rays A to Y, excepting X of course, and spread the news far and wide! In return, I have generously provided you with instructions for using the Y-Ray to discover motive, which I suggest you use to assist in resolving your serial killer investigation. And that's it! You, Curdy, are taking a stand against this killer, and likewise, I'm finally taking a stand in support of my life's work, my contributions to humankind, my ray-filled sippy cup, as it were. I cannot just sit back any longer. It's just like the actor Peter Finch said in that movie Network. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take it anymore! And then, of course, he died. Coincidence? I wonder. Well, thanks for your time. If you have any questions, you can look for me in the Zs. For a start, I'll be studying zebras, the zodiac, zeppelins, zippers, and zucchinis. So hooray for me! Sincerely! Marvellous Picayune, B-S-B-M-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. Now, that's more like it, people. Professor Picayune has sent a tool that could very possibly help us solve these murders, as motive is one of the most important ingredients in the mix. So, Sally, as we narrow down our suspect's list, let's be prepared to apply the Y-Ray technology he spoke about. I am downloading the files from the jump drive now. In the meantime, I would like to clarify some information regarding the poem The Raven that was part of a recent episode. Well, that's great, Sally. I know you went to town with everything you could locate on the internet in the way of expert analysis of Poe's masterpiece. Just what did you find out? There are two references in particular in the 18 stanzas that stand out from the rest of the verses. Go ahead, I'm listening. In line 3 of stanza 16 we hear tell this soul with sorrow laden if within the distant Aden. Okay, so what do we think it means? It could be interpreted as tell the sad folks on space croutons to look for distant Aden. And online, I found out that Aden is a poetic spelling of Eden as in Garden of which could mean we are looking for a distant Garden of Eden of some kind. Not bad, Sally, but where should we look? In stanza 17 line 2, we hear this, Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Wait, the night's plutonian shore? Are you thinking what I'm thinking, Sally? I am sensing yes, Cordy. If you're thinking that the distant Garden of Eden could be somewhere on our former planet Pluto. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Time to do some more digging, my friend. And while we do that, why don't we let you go too, audience? But keep your thinking caps on because we're not out of the woods yet. And as always, keep peace in your hearts until our next story time. 
If you want to join in, invite my captain has some hints. Tell your friends and neighbors, we'll be adding capers to the space crew season 3.14. is a work of original fiction. Similarities to persons, situations, or events, real or fictional, is coincidental and unintentional. Created and written by Jerry, Jace, John, Della, and Jeff Goodson. Episode story by Jeff. Original music by Della, Jeff, John, and Jerry. Production by John, James Jared Morrow, and Jeff. Featuring the voice talents of James Jared Morrow, Steve Garrigan, John, Jeff, and Sally. Entire work copyright 2022 by Jeff, John, Jerry, Della, and Jace Goodson. This has been a Good Witch Audio production.